as we get to the text, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, again, I just pray that you would help us to know this text, to know it so well that we live it out in our lives. I just pray that you would help us to understand what it means to be the blessed servant, um, what it means to live a life as a blessed servant. And just pray that we would remember how blessed we are because of your sacrifice on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we get to this, you can turn to Luke 12, 35, a little bit of context. Last time I preached, which was a while ago, we were in chapter 12 again. We were in verse 13, and we looked at the parable of the rich fool, uh, how, who stores for this world and doesn't think about the next world. And then in 22 through 31, Jesus talks about do not be anxious about the things of this world. In verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so in light of the rich young fool, in light of being anxious in this life, in light of putting your heart where your treasure is, and having it on the Lord, he talks about being ready, being ready for this next life. And again, that same emphasis of not thinking about this world, but thinking about the next world. As we start out, there's this illustration I found. It said, a boy who applied for work was told by the manager he did not think they had enough work to keep the, another boy employed. The boy said, but I am sure, sir, that you have enough work to hire me. You don't know what little amount of work it takes to keep me busy. Sometimes we as followers of Christ can be like that little boy, sadly. We don't think about how much we can do for Christ. We think about how little we can do for Christ. We should be those who are eager to be working for Christ in this world, thinking about the next world. And so we're going to be talking about that. The blessed servant. My first point is the blessed servant is waiting for Jesus. He says, stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master. Um, Sorry, waiting for their, where am I? I just like missed it. All right, waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So we need to be those waiting in this stay dressed for action. In the Greek, um, it is let your loins be girded. And the idea here is to be ready at all times, to be on the move. And there's a good illustration of this in Exodus. So if you turn with me real quick. In Exodus 12, 11, it is... The final plague, the Passover, Exodus 12, 11. It says, 
as he's describing what they're supposed to do, one of the things he tells them is in the manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So they're supposed to eat in uh, haste with their belt fat, belts fastened. This is with their loins girded. This was, I couldn't really find a super great illustration of it, but this kind of gives you the idea of what they were supposed to do. Um, the idea is that the Israelites were supposed to be prepared for the moment they were to leave because um, they were going to leave in haste. If you look at verses 31 through 33, it says, Then he summoned Moses by Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. And take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. Well, they were able to leave quickly. And why were they able to leave quickly? Because they were prepared. They were ready. And they did as God had told them. And so that's what we're supposed to do. It's a pretty good illustration for us, right? Let your loins be girded. Stay dressed for action. When Christ comes back, don't be like, oh, I didn't realize this was going to be happening be ready for when he returns. We actually see this again, this idea in 1 Peter. So actually turn there with me. 1 Peter 1.13. He says, Therefore, and that therefore is in light of salvation. He goes through that in the previous verses, starting verse 3. Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, right? To an inheritance as imperishable, undefiled. He talks about this salvation that we have in verse 10, right? Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The prophets were looking, this grace that is yours. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. In the Greek, that preparing your minds for action is literally gird up the loins of your mind. And so he's saying, be ready in your mind at all times. And so, gird up the loins of your mind, mentally ready to go. And one of the things we would need to ask is, what does it mean to have our minds ready to go? What it, does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind, as he says here? Well, he kind of gives us the answer, right? He says, preparing your minds for action, gird up the loins of your mind, and being so sober-minded. So that's the first thing. Be sober-minded in this world. And that's not just that you don't be drunk all the time, right? The idea is um, be in control. Don't be distracted. Um, and we live in a world that is highly distracting. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, if you haven't, it might be because you are distracted. Um, you have TV. You have a phone in your pocket all the time, just buzzing constantly, trying to distract you from what you need to do. And those things aren't bad, definitely not, but... 
we do have to acknowledge that we live in a world that can be very distracting from the things that we need to do and accomplish. So this call to be sober-minded is particularly important for us to remember as we go through this world. Um, Don't be distracted by the things of this world. So he says, be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So don't be distracted, but set your mind on Christ, on hope, right? Being prepared mentally. Um, The thing is to not just not be distracted. It's what you're setting your mind on when you aren't distracted, right? Don't be distracted with this world, but set your mind on Christ. On the hope. And fully, right? Uh, Not just partially. Our mind should be fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the last thing is, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Um, That's what we're not to do, but we're supposed to um, do in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, right? The call is to be holy. Um, And when we're being holy, right, we're not going to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance because we're set on the hope of Jesus Christ. And so that's what it means to be preparing our minds for action. And you could continue on in 1 Peter there to continue your study. Um, but those are at least three things. Be sober, set your mind on the grace, and be holy. All these things will help us be, as we get back into our text here in Luke 12, staying dressed for action. And then he says, keep your lamps burning. And this is actively actively being ready. And you notice that you should already be. Stay dressed implies that you are already dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning implies that your lamps are already burning. And so we are to keep that going. And that can be a difficult thing to do in this life. It can be difficult to continuously live the Christian life. Um, Many times, one of the things I want to make sure that we don't do is, I'm imploring you to, right, do the things God wants you to do, but many times we can overdo, and then we decide not to do anything, and then we kind of fall into this rut. Um, We need to have continually keep our lamps burning, continually do those things that God wants us to do, um, but not overdo it and get burned out and then not do anything. I always like to think about it and don't try to do everything. Just try to do a few things well. Do the things that God gave you to do, right? We haven't haven't been given every spiritual gift. We've been given them in a portion to us. So use your spiritual gifts in the way that God wants you to do. All right, so we're supposed to keep your lamps burning. That's actively being ready. And it takes a lot of work to do that. It takes a lot of activity to do that. Um, The world is dark, right? The idea of a lamp. The world is very dark, and so we need to be those bright lights, those lamps burning in a dark place. 
Um, and it won't just happen on its own. We need to live out the Christian life for people to see us living in light of Christ. And I say it takes a lot of work, but it really doesn't. I mean, if you're employed and you work with a bunch of people, if on a baseline you just don't swear all the time, you will probably stick out to them as being different. And at one point they'll probably ask you, you know, why are you so different? And then you can share the gospel of them with them. And so we need to be those, right? Those people shining in a dark place. I say it all the time, but you should look different from the world. So staying dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, and be like men waiting, waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. They're just waiting for him. So you see, there's the three things, right? He's trying to stress this. Be ready. Keep your lamps burning. Be waiting for the master when he comes home. And the master is at a wedding feast. And wedding feasts were a little bit different than they are now. Um, They could go on forever. Not quite. But they could go up to seven days. And so these guys, the whole thing in general, right? You have the celebration, all that kind of stuff. Um, They went on for a long time, is the point. And so they were to be waiting for him to return. And it could take a while. They literally did not know at what point in time their master was going to come back. So they literally had to wait for him to come back. And they had to stay awake, be vigilant. And notice they're ready at the door at once. That at once is immediately. They're there, ready to go when he comes back. And the question I had to ask myself is, am I awake? Am I ready? Are my loins girded mentally? Is my lamp burning? Or am I sleeping? These are all questions in which we need to ask and we need to change, right? Be sober-minded. Set our minds on that grace if we need to and be holy. So as the waiting, right, he's stressing that we need to be waiting, and he will again. And it's if you go to Matthew 24 through 25, that's something that's constantly there. Be ready, be ready. He's coming at an hour you do not expect. It's said multiple times. It's a message that Jesus frequently says, because we need to frequently be remembering that we aren't living for this world, we're living for the next world. And we're just waiting for our Savior to return. So we're waiting, that is the blessed servant, and the blessed servant is also served by Jesus. And this one, this point was kind of, it was interesting for me studying it. I guess I had never thought about it too much, and it seems a little bit It was difficult for me to think about. I felt like Peter in John 13, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and he's like, no, no, you can't wash my feet. And then Jesus says, then you're going to have no part in my share. And then he's like, well, wash my hands and my head as well. Um, And we always think about um, Jesus coming to serve. 
we know this if you go to Luke 22. If you go to Luke 22:24, it says, "A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest." And he said to them, the kings and the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, and let the leader, of, leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves." You can think of Philippians 2, 7, where he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. Or you could go to Mark as well. I'm going to go there real quick. Is that one? Mark 10, 45. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Christ came... As a servant. And we see that, but he also is going to come again and he will serve. And this is kind of what this is what the parable is highlighting. And I want to show you this chiasm in the parable to kind of help emphasize this. When you're looking at um, chiasms, they are literary devices used to highlight. the meaning of what is being said. It's like their poetry. Um, And so you have this, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And so you have the blessed servants who the master finds awake when he comes. And then you have truly highlighted in the middle, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. Now we need to be clear on who the servants and the master are. The servants are the blessed. Those are us. And the master is the one who's coming at a time that is unexpected. That would be Christ. And then again, it says if he comes in the second watch or the third watch, right, he's coming again and he finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. And so this middle section becomes highlighted. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he will come and serve them. Now when Christ comes again, he is going to be coming with vengeance. He is going to be coming to judge the world. He is going to be the king and the ruler of all. Um, He is going to set up his kingdom. He is going to be all those things. But one of the things that will happen is in verse chapter 13, verse 28. And he says, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. And people will come come from the east and from the west and from the north and the south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God, and be some. Behold, some are well. Some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Right. One of the things we will do is recline at the table um, with God. Well, 
Yeah, we will recline at his table, right, with him being the ruler over all. Uh, we'll also, it's important we go to another verse for this as well. Luke twenty-two twenty-eight. It says, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as many as my father assigned to me, a kingdom, right? So he is going to be king in the kingdom, and you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so one of the things we are going to be doing is sitting at his table. And again, that's kind of why I pointed out, I'm much like Peter, I think when he comes back, I just want to serve him, which I will be doing, but there will be a point in which we will be reclining in his kingdom at his table. And so I like what Wearsby said about this to clarify if I'm muddying the water a little bit. He says, in Jewish wedding, uh, where am I? Yeah. Uh, in Jewish weddings, the bride was treated like a queen and the groom like a king. So you would not expect the king to minister to his staff. Our king will minister to his faithful servants when he greets us at his return, and he will reward us for our faithfulness. When you look at, I mean, it makes sense. When you look at the grand scheme, right? We are saved by his grace. We are, um, and we will also, when he comes again, right? We're not going to be in Christ again. I'm not going to do anything to establish his kingdom. He is going to be doing it. And so it makes sense then, when you're thinking of light of all this, that blessed are those servants. We truly are blessed, right? We're blessed if we're awake when he comes, right? Because he's going to dress himself. He's going to, um, re, we're going to recline at the table and he is going to serve, again, in light of the fact also that he is going to be the king and the ruler. But again, when he comes, in verse 38, if we're awake, blessed are those servants. So the servants, Right? Blessed are those who are awake when he comes because he will serve, right? He will reward our faithfulness. We will be with him at the marriage supper. So again, the question is, are you awake? Are you ready? Are you dressed for actions? And are your lights burning? The last point I have is the blessed servant, again, is prepared for Jesus. <clears throat> he is, verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, this is kind of a new thought. It's not... Not the same master, okay? It can be a little confusing. The master in verses 35 through 38 is not the same as 39 through 40, right? This is a different thought process. Uh, the new ma- I want to say new master, but if this master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. We can easily relate to this parable, 
Um, if you knew that someone was coming in to break into your house, you would be ready for him. You would prepare yourself for him. But the point is, he's coming at it like a thief. Thieves purposely come at a moment you do not expect them to come. And much like many of us, you probably do something to expect a thief at some point in time. You prepare yourself for that. All of us, hopefully, maybe, lock our doors at night, right? It's because, maybe you don't, whatever. Don't tell me that. No, No, maybe you do, maybe you don't, right? You lock your car before you leave. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But the point is, you're preparing yourself for the possibility of a thief. Some of us might get cameras. Some of us might do a bunch of other stuff. um, Because we never know when it's going to happen. And um, Christ being referred to, uh, not referred to, likened to um, this idea of a thief is multiple times in Scripture. It's in 2 Peter 3.10, Revelations 3.3, um, 1 Thessalonians 5.2-4. This idea is going to come at a moment you're not going to expect. That's the point. No one's going to be able to predict the time in which he's coming Uh, If you go to Matthew 24, this is a very important verse because many people have many different ideas about the time when Christ is going to return. You can see it easily today, especially with all that's happening. There's a lot of predictions about, and we might have an idea of saying, well, it seems like the times are at an end through Scripture, but we have to be honest and Go to Matthew 24, 36, which it says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. No one for sure can say when Christ is coming back, because no one knows for sure. Only one person knows when Christ is coming again. And I only highlight that because... Yes, I am waiting for. Yes, I may be looking for some signs for. I like to look in Revelation and say all these things are happening. It's, it's a fun thing to do, but I'm not trying to anticipate the exact day when Christ is coming. I'm preparing my heart for whenever he comes, right? I'm doing the things that God wants me to do until he comes, not so worried about the when he comes, but what I'm doing until he comes. And so be ready at all times. If that hasn't been highlighted at this point in time, I don't know what else to tell you. But the question is, what should we do to be ready? And the very first thing we have to acknowledge is to be ready a prerequisite or one of the things we need to be ready is salvation. Um, if you don't know Christ, the matter of fact is you aren't ready for his return and you can't be ready for his return until you do know him. And that's still because we are in our sin. And as Romans says, the wages of sin is death. And so if you're still in your sin, the wages for that sin is death. And when he returns, you won't be ready. The point is, if you don't know Christ, you're dead spiritually in sin, going into outer darkness. 
where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, it's to hell. And that would be a harsh message. It is a harsh message, but it would be harsh if there wasn't a way out, right? You have John one twenty nine, which says, John the Baptist points to Jesus said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see in Matthew 20 that, uh, well, we'll turn there real quick. Sorry, Matthew 20, 28. It says, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? Um, goes well with their service, right? He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is, he paid the price for that sin that we have. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is what do we need to do? And that is to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And so we need to call on Christ to be saved. And if anyone has any questions on that, if you're still in your sin, I implore you to come to me afterwards, after the service, and talk to me, and I can walk you through that some more. So salvation is the number one. You're not ready for Christ's return if you do not know who Christ is as your Lord and Savior. But the other thing we need to do is live as those who are saved, to put it simply. I like what this quote said. It says, A river is measured by the water it brings to the sea, a fountain by its overflow, and a Christian by his helpfulness to others. We as believers need to be, as I have been talking about, right? Go to 1 Peter. Think about what it means to be holy, to have the loins of your minds girded, to set your mind on the grace, to be living as a light to this world. What do those things mean on a daily basis? If you're doing those things and you are being filled with the Spirit as you live your life, Um, and you will be ready and anxiously waiting for his return. In conclusion, be those who are anxiously waiting for Jesus, knowing that he will come and serve those who are awake when he comes, meaning that they are prepared at all times because he is coming at a time that is unexpected. And so with that, let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to come together to look at this text. Just pray that you would be with us, give us wisdom, guidance as we are thinking about our own lives, as what it means to stay ready, to be awake. Um, I just pray that we are all anxiously waiting for your return. I just pray that we are all ready And again, if anyone isn't here, anyone who is here who isn't ready, I just pray that you would um, have them come forward, help them to uh, come to me, and uh, help them to know you as your personal Lord and Savior. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.